On this Easter Sunday, I want us to see afresh how Jesus practiced what he preached. I want to read from the Gospel of John, first chapter 20, uh, beginning at verse 19. This is on Easter Day. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then another passage from John chapter 21. Uh, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say unto you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after that, he said to him, follow me. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind who sees this today in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue, that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said. Nothing doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple. Let this be life-changing. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's one thing to practice a high standard uh, after you have preached it. That's what we're going to see. Now, I'm not referring to when Jesus on the cross prayed for his enemies and prayed for those who had crucified him. He did that. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. But I'm talking about an event on Easter, and I want us to see how important this is, how relevant it is to all of us when it comes to the issue of total forgiveness. Well, Simon Peter sincerely thought that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples. And so uh, you may recall uh, that he piously said, uh, uh, Lord, uh, wash not only my feet, but also my hands. He was uh, uh, playing one-upmanship with the eleven. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus knew better. He said, 
before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Well, the truth is, not only did Peter deny knowing Jesus, but all of the disciples, Matthew 25, 56 says, they all forsook him and fled. Well, uh, think of this. After three years of being spoon-fed, tutored, led, uh, Jesus took time with these disciples. Uh, they'd heard the Sermon on the Mount. They'd heard the parables. They'd heard uh, Jesus dialogue with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They were so well trained. And now we come up to the very end of what would appear be, to be at the end of Jesus' life because of his crucifixion. And Jesus gives this word and says to Peter, you will deny me. Well, Peter didn't believe that at all. The truth is, Peter honestly thought that he loved the disciples more than the others combined. Well, uh, it's interesting. After he said this to Peter, Jesus added, as we see in the Gospel of Luke, but I have prayed for you. What is the explanation that Simon Peter, uh, after he denied the Lord, would be converted and turn around? And I could make a case. We're talking about how Jesus prayed for him. Do you realize that we are all dependent upon the prayer of Jesus? This is why the Apostle Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He's referring to Jesus' own faith. As a man on this earth, Jesus had a perfect faith. At the right hand of God, Jesus intercedes for us. He doesn't just say, Lord, I hope you will do this. The prayer of Jesus is effectual. And so when he said to Peter, but I have prayed for you. I wonder if you have ever made the connection between when you sense special grace. You could have fallen into sin or you could have disappointed God. You do that which makes you so ashamed. But for some reason, you are kept, you are restored, and you found that you were loved with an everlasting love. I can give you an explanation. Jesus was praying for you. I can't think of anything more wonderful than this. And this is why Paul could say, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Jesus is praying for me at the right hand of the Father, and I can live by that. I sometimes put an illustration that goes like this. Many years ago, uh, when we came to England, uh, we didn't dream of coming to London to live, to be at Westminster Chapel, but it turned out that that's what happened. Well, our son, uh, T.R., we call him T.R. My name is Robert Tillman. He's also Robert Tillman, but for some reason, we call him T.R. As a result of our moving to London to become the minister of Westminster Chapel, it meant that T.R. had to go into the third different school within a space of one year. His previous time in English schools had been difficult, and uh, he had been in an English school 
then a second English school, then an American school. And now we decided to stay in London. And uh, now it was another school. We lived at first in Ealing. And TR was to go to Montpelier School. I'll never forget the Monday morning when I took him for the first time to his new school. He was dreading it. Oh, he was dreading it. And I was feeling so sorry for him. Well, when we pulled up to the uh, school, uh, I said, well, Daddy will be praying for you. Uh, God bless you, TR. And he wouldn't get out of the car. He just wouldn't get out of the car. I said, uh, TR, you have to go. And he just said, no, I'm not going. I said, TR, you'll have to go, I'm afraid. I said, look at all those boys. Uh, look at all the fun you're going to have. These are your new friends. And he just said, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I began to pray to know what to say to TR. And this came to me. I said, TR, look at me. He looked at me. I said, today, I am going to be praying for you nonstop all day long. Whenever you get scared or nervous, just remember at that moment, dad is praying for you. If you have a difficult moment with another student or your new teacher, or you're just nervous, just remember at that moment, whenever it is, daddy is praying for you. You know, he opened the car door. I can see him now as he walked toward the playground. What was going on there? He knew I was praying for him. He wasn't trusting his own praying. What kept him going? He knew that I would be praying for him all day long. And I want you to know, I did. I just prayed for him nonstop all day, nonstop all day. And he was living by my faith. That's what Paul meant in part. There are other meanings to this, but he meant. Paul said, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I just know he's praying for me. And I live by that. Well, Jesus said to Peter, but I have prayed for you. And uh, then you may recall uh, in my previous talk on Palm Sunday, if you happen to have heard it, that at the end of John chapter 3, after Jesus said, you will deny me three times, I remind you that there were no chapters and verses in the ancient Greek. And it actually uh, reads, uh, you will deny me three times, let not your heart be troubled, but you believe in God. In other words, forget the chapter and verse those great words, let not your heart be troubled or your hearts, plural, meaning all the disciples. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here's the wonderful thing. Jesus knew what Peter would do. This is why he said, I pray for you. Jesus knew that he would deny him. This is why he said in advance. But then he added, let not your heart be troubled. This is the thing. It's so wonderful to know we're loved with an everlasting love. And to think that God knows what we're going to do, but still loves us. Well, that's the wonderful thing. Well, now, what I read earlier, it takes place on Easter evening. Now, Jesus, having been raised from the dead, and the disciples were in this room, 
probably the upper room uh, where they had the Passover, possibly the room where they were over there at Pentecost. In any case, they were in this room and behind closed doors. And you could be sure these disciples, they had heard that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. Uh, Peter, when he went to the tomb, he just saw an empty tomb. He didn't know what to make of it. And now here are the disciples, not all of them. Judas Iscariot was not a part of the group now. Thomas, for some reason, wasn't there. But there were 10 disciples, and they're afraid. They're feeling guilty. They're feeling awful. And, uh, and then, all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up in the room. He came through closed doors. We have his glorified, resurrected body after being um, crucified and now raised from the dead. And they were so full of fear, these disciples. Now, if Jesus were like many of us, if you've spent time with someone tutoring them or educating them or teaching them your ways, you would like to think especially if you've had three years doing this, uh, that those that you taught would have learned something. Well, now what we have here is Jesus now showing up, and there are the ten disciples. They are ridden with guilt, ridden with fear, and they were so ashamed. Well, what does Jesus say to them? Does he look at them and say, how could you men have done this? Where were you when I needed you? And he could point it out to Peter, James, and John. In Gethsemane, in Gethsemane, uh, they fell asleep. And Jesus came back and said, can't you stay with me one hour? And Jesus went back and prayed, and they fell asleep. I will always believe that in that moment, when Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. And he was now going to endure the greatest trial of his life. He thought, well, maybe I'll have the three disciples with me. In his loneliness, that at least they would stand with him. Well, he went the third time. And there they were again asleep. And you know the way it's put in the King James Version in Matthew's account. Jesus just said, sleep on now, sleep on. It was a way of Jesus being resigned to the fact that he wasn't even going to have the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him, to stand with him in this dark, dark hour. And so now he sees them. After being raised from the dead, and they don't know what to think. As I've said, if Jesus were like so many of us, he would have looked at those men and said, how dare you do that? Where were you when I needed you the most? What's the matter with you? I spent all that time with you. Maybe they were expecting that. And you can make a case they deserved that. But no, Jesus was different. And here is what he said. He said, peace be with you. And then showed him his hands and his feet. 
Well, why is a word like this important on this Easter Sunday? Well, it's a reminder that none of us should take ourselves so seriously. Uh, you know, Peter, as I've been saying, he really thought that he loved Jesus more than John did, more than James did, more than Matthew, more than Thomas. He really thought he was kind of a, a cut above the others when it comes to devotion to Jesus. And Peter thought he led the way. Well, uh, you know, it's just a reminder to let all of us know Paul put it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Here's another verse. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I would urge every Christian listening to me now, have this in your vocabulary, this verse. Know it well. The heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked, incurably wicked. Now, that's what Jeremiah said about the heart. And if someone says, but wait a minute, that's before uh, Jesus came. Well, surely we're not like that now. Really? 1 John 1.8, that's the epistle of John toward the end of your Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what the apostle said. If we say, that we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's just a reminder, lest we begin to take ourselves too seriously and become self-righteousness. I never will forget when I first saw that verse. Years ago, I was praying in my room at Trevecca and I came across that verse and I thought, this is true. He doesn't say if we had no sin, he says, if we have no sin, you see, our condition will be with us until we go to heaven. And it's just a reminder that the best of us who think we know God so well, and we think that we love him so much, oh, we won't let God down. This is why Paul said, he that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And it's a reminder, any of us, you, me, we think we're not capable of doing such a sin as we see another person. I want you to know when you see another person in their fall, in their holding a grudge, in their falling into sexual sin, in their giving into pride, and you want at first maybe to say, how could they do that? What's the matter with those people? You need to see that you're that person. Yes, you are that person. There go I, but by the grace of God. And so when we consider Peter in this day, uh, he is one of the 10 disciples. And Jesus says to them, peace. It's a reminder, as I've been saying, we are loved with an everlasting love. And what Jesus said to Peter, he says to you and me, I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because Jesus said, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, the God of the Bible is the God 
of the second chance. Am I listening or am I, are you listening to me and I'm speaking to someone? You have let God down. You're feeling guilty. You're feeling ashamed. And you say, how could I have done this? I think of that moment. You know, Jesus said before the rooster crows, three times you'll deny me. When Peter denied Jesus the third time, there was the crowing of the rooster. You know, I've been to the spot in Jerusalem where apparently, and it seems to be pretty reliable, this is where Jesus was when he, uh, Peter was when he denied Jesus. You know, the first time I was there, it got quiet around, and I heard the crowing of a rooster. I couldn't believe it. It was, it was real at that spot. Well, when Peter heard the crowing of the rooster, he looked at Jesus. Jesus was looking straight at him. And Jesus, we're told, loved him with an everlasting love. And Peter wept, sobbed his heart out, cried. He was so ashamed. Is there one listening now? You have let God down. There are degrees of backsliding on a scale of one to ten. You could say ten being what Peter did, falling into adultery or murder as David did. Or maybe it's just a two or three or four when you have a wrong attitude or you fall out with somebody. Look, we're all sinners and capable of doing anything. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus never becomes disillusioned with us because he had no illusion in the first place. We're told at the end of John chapter two, two, Jesus knew what was in man and he knows us inside and out. Well, the God of the Bible is the God of the second chance. God came to Jonah a second time. And so when Jesus addressed the disciples that Easter, he says, listen to this. This is what grips me the most. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. It was as though nothing had happened. Uh, you might expect that Jesus would say, well, now look, I had great plans for you. I had plans for you, but look, you've blown it. I can't use you now. You've, you've messed up. After three years, you know, nothing like that. And maybe somebody, you're listening to me on this Easter, you have messed up. And you say, God could not love me now. Or you say, God certainly could not use me now. I used to think maybe I would be used of the Lord, but I've messed up. Do you know what? Jesus is saying, peace. He, he just refused to let them feel guilty, but that's not all. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. It was as nothing happened. It was as if they'd done no wrong. He just even doesn't even mention it. In other words, what they had done did not destroy God's purpose for them. I think the most thrilling verse in the book of Job, Job chapter 42, verses 1 and 2, where Job says, Now I know, no purpose of God 
can be thwarted. Sovereign God, gracious God, loving Father, and what wonderful news to think. Look, what you've done in the last few hours hasn't stopped anything from happening. And lo and behold, who would be present to be the preacher on the day of Pentecost? You would say, well, the least deserving, the least deserving is surely Simon Peter. <laughs> but there he was. He preached the first sermon, the inaugural sermon of the church. And I think one of the reasons, this is the view I take, he had so much power is because there was no self-righteousness in him. He, he knew he had no right to be there. And that way God could use him and get all the credit. Terry's story, I'm almost ashamed to tell, but maybe it will be a blessing. One Sunday morning, just before walking across Victoria Street to Westminster Chapel, Louise and I had uh, an argument. Well, I lost my temper. I was totally in the wrong. But at the time, I blamed her. And I'm ashamed to say that I slammed the door, pushed the button on the lift, the elevator, went down to the bottom, walked over into Victoria Strait, and then the next thing I know, I'm in the pulpit at Westminster Chapel, and the service is just about to start. They're getting ready to play the doxology, and I'm bowing my head. Now, I don't know what the people were thinking when they saw me bowing my head. They probably thought, oh, what a godly man. I don't know what they thought, but I know what I thought. I said, Lord, I've made such a mess of things today. I don't know how you're going to use me today. I'm so sorry. And then the doxology, first hymn, and Louise hasn't come to church yet. I thought, oh dear, I've upset her so much she's not even going to come to church. But then after several minutes, she came and sat in her place, and I kept trying to get her attention during the singing of the hymn. And she wouldn't even look at me. And then read the scripture, another hymn, trying to get her attention, she wouldn't even look at me. Then the long pastoral prayer, and I thought, how am I going to pray? But I did. I, and the whole time I was thinking, my own wife, she must think I'm the worst hypocrite on the planet. Well, then uh, Mr. Patton, the church secretary, comes up and welcomes the people, gives the notices, says the morning offering will be received. And I think, I need to write Louise a note and give it to Mr. Patton and let him, but no, I don't want him to read it. I don't want him to know. And the whole time Louise would not look at me. Now it was time to preach. And I stood up fully expecting to be the biggest flop, the biggest failure in the history of the Christian church. Listen to me. I had more power preaching that morning than I'd had in months and months and months. I couldn't believe it. As I was preaching, I just soared. I thought, my word, this is amazing what I'm able to do. And then it hit me. There was not a bit of self-righteousness in me, not a bit. I think that's the reason God could use me. 
There's no way I'm going to get any glory or credit for this. I don't deserve even to be here. And yet God used me. And could it be that God lets some of us fall to teach us a lesson? To let us see what we're like in ourselves, lest we begin to take ourselves too seriously. If I'm honest, it's, it's probably, well, I won't say it's my greatest fault, but it's one of my greatest faults, taking myself so seriously. Well, Easter. Jesus practiced what he preached. He did it on Good Friday, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And now on Easter Sunday, he says to these men who had forsaken him, as my Father sent you, so send I you. Don't worry. It's as though what you did didn't happen. You see, God sees the end from the beginning. And the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all our sins. Well now, later on, when Jesus appeared to the disciples, and you remember it was at the Sea of Galilee, and they were eating fish, and then Jesus singled out Peter. And here's the way he put it. Peter, do you love me more than these? Who are the these? It means the other disciples. He thought he loved Jesus more than these. He says, Jesus said, he knew exactly how Jesus felt. Sorry. Jesus knew just how Peter felt. And he says to Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter still was being self-righteous. Well, Lord, you know I love you and all that. And it shows that even Peter still would need time to reflect on his sin. The truth is, Jesus knew what he was like and then gave Peter instructions how he would die. And he says, you know, when you were young, you just did what you wanted to do. But one day, somebody's going to take you and you are going to be old and you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go, showing Peter how he would die. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows where you will be tomorrow. He knows where you will be years from now. And in this day of the coronavirus crisis, we're all in it. We're all together going where we've never been before. As God said to Joshua, you are going where you've never been. We are all in a position now of being where we've never been. But the wonderful thing is that God has a plan for each of us. And the lesson is, we just must keep our eyes on Jesus. Funny thing about Peter, I don't know how much of what Jesus said to him he was taking in because he said to Jesus, what about John here? How's he going to die? And Jesus said, none of your business. What if I let him live until I come? What's that to you? You follow me. And I want you to know, that God has a plan for your life in detail. And you may wonder, well, what about so-and-so? You just keep your eyes on Jesus. He's got a plan for you. And I'll tell you another thing. The day will come, you'll get to prove that you really do love the Lord. I suppose that Peter would do anything somehow to redeem himself as 
you know, to show that he did love the Lord. Well, maybe you have messed up and you would like to show that you really do love the Lord. God will probably give you that opportunity. He's the God of the second chance. There was a time when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin and they not only got lectured by the Sanhedrin, but they were beaten. And I imagine that in the Sanhedrin, these self-righteous Sadducees and a few Pharisees said, well, we taught them a lesson. We won't need to worry about them anymore. Do you know what? Peter and John couldn't believe their luck, that they got to be persecuted like that. In fact, Acts chapter 5, verse 41, read it, Acts 5, 41, when they departed from the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. They got a chance to prove they really did love God. He may give you that opportunity sooner than you think. And I'm asking you now as I close, have you let the Lord down? And you say, God, I'm so sorry. I do love you. He'll give you a chance to show. He gives you a second chance. He did it with the disciples. He will do it with you. He's done it with me. What a wonderful God we have. Jesus practicing what he preached. We're loved with an everlasting love. Heavenly Father, I ask you to take this word and apply it by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.